You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Should we get now? You guys are all awake now, right? Awesome. Cool. So before I dive in, um, I just want to start with prayer. Bow our heads. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, uh, just thank you so much for this opportunity, God. Uh, I'm just so grateful for this family um, that I've, I've just been a part of for the last seven years. I thank you for friends like Kenny um, and countless others in the church, God. And um, just thank you for your word and how it convicted me um, such a long time ago and uh, how it continually works and shapes our lives every day, God. And just speak through me today, God. I pray everyone can take something away that um, will just impact their lives and help them to... Just see you a little bit more clearly, God. Uh, thank you for your love and your son, and I pray this all through his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right. So, guys, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Thank you um, for, for listening to me. Um, I've been in the West Side for about seven years now. I was baptized in uh, 2011. Um, just there's uh, me and my parents after that. Um, the West Side has been home. It's, it's where I got baptized. It's, it's where I graduated. It's where I fell in love and got married a week after graduation. Yeah, we're crazy. Um, and it's where I started my career. And um, I started at Deloitte and then quickly transitioned to Hulu. And it's because of Hulu that we now have this opportunity to go to New York. And um, it was not an easy decision. Um, it... Uh, like I said, this is our home, but we felt called. And, and, and honestly, we didn't want to go to New York. Uh, my wife and I have been thinking for the past year, okay, where, where might we go? She's been applying to jobs all over the country. And honestly, we wanted to go to Oregon or Colorado. We wanted five, five acres and a pack of dogs. But just through uh, continuous prayer, continuous advice, and um, God working through the Spirit, He made it clear that New York's where we're headed. Oh, we're going to Manhattan. Someone said where. So we'll be, we'll be in the city. So I want to start in uh, Romans 12, if you guys would all turn there. Alright, I'm turning there myself, so I should hopefully know when you guys are there as well. It says Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We all want to know what God's will is for our life, right? Especially when we're promised that it's good, pleasing, and perfect. However, knowing what God wants for us is, is a very personal, individual thing. And it varies very differently by circumstance and what we're going through in life. So I'm not going to be focusing so much on how to discern God's will, but more so on a tool that God has given us uh, in our brains in order to renew our minds, to transform our minds. And that tool is called myelin. 
And the, the title of my lesson is The Spirit in Myelin and Pride, Purity, Pride, and Pressure, three areas of my life where I'm going to dive in and talk about how myelin has shaped me um, in my Christian walk. And what I think is incredible and just totally God is that for the last four weeks, um, we had a brother by the name of Byron Parson come and speak to us um, about the Spirit, living in the Spirit. And it's crazy because I've had this idea to preach on this subject in my head for over a year now. And it just perfectly aligns. So it's just so God. It's awesome. So what is myelin? So full disclosure, you're going to nerd out for a little bit. I know I don't look like I'm that nerdy, but I am. Um, at my work, all I do is play with data, and I'm in Excel, and I pride myself on the crazy long Excel formulas that I can write. So yeah, I'm pretty nerdy. <laughs> So, being the nerd that I am, I love learning about new things. I love learning, learning about why things are the way they are, why things work, uh, culture, um, why we, we do the things we do, why we react the way we act. And um, what I've come to learn is that our brains are lazy. Our brains are lazy. It, our brains represent 2% of our body mass. However, they take up 25% of our daily energy. And because of that, our brain looks for any way to make shortcuts, any way to conserve energy. And one of those main tools is myelin. And what myelin is, is that it's a protein that covers neurons, and so that when we interact with the world around us, it more quickly fires to the, um, the part of our brain that leads to action, to a response. So uh, uh, an example of this is touching a hot stove. Our brains are quickly trained to, when we touch the hot stove, to pull away uh, uh, interaction and a response in the myelin that's telling us to, that's formed around the neurons that tell us to do that is very thick and it allows that energy to go quickly through. Um, so I'm going to share this definition with us. Um, it's by two, two professors of neurology of Yale, Waxman and Bangalore. I know when you guys are going to go home tonight, you're going to read a lot of Waxman and Bangalore. <laughs> Um, but it reads, myelin is an electrical insulator, although its function of facilitating conduction in axons or neurons has no exact analogy in electrical circuitry. So what does that mean? God has given us a tool that exists nowhere else. He's given us a tool in our brain that cannot be find, found in the world around us. The trouble, though, is that myelin doesn't always work where God wants us to. Trouble is that it doesn't matter what you're doing. The more you do something, the more you think a certain way, the more you act a certain way, that's where the myelin is going to build up. I first learned about myelin playing volleyball at UCLA with Kenny. Um, we were really lucky to have um, a top-notch sports psychologist by the name of Andrea Becker on our team, on our coaching staff. And both her and our head coach... Um, really preached to us the importance of meditation, of visualization, of anatomy, of understanding who we are as people in order to perform our best. And I quickly learned that we can do things the wrong way so many times that we think it's right. That not only do we need to learn how to do things the right way, we actually have to physically decompose the myelin around our neurons that is telling us to do it the opposite way. An amazing example of this is uh, my dad. <laughs> wow, I hit fast. Um, 
Uh, I love being able to share about my dad because... Although being one of the most accomplished people... Wow. And, uh, although being one of the most accomplished people that I know, he's also one of the most humble. <laughs> and, uh, he, sorry. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Alright, so throughout college, so he also played volleyball at UCLA. Throughout college, he had what they call a goofy approach. And so what that means, if you guys can all see me, is that in volleyball you want to take a three-step approach to attack the volleyball. So left, I'm doing it wrong, see? (laughs) Left, right, left. And so what that does is that you stomp on your front foot, your left foot, if you're a right-handed player, and it allows you to open up so that when you attack the volleyball you have more momentum, more power. However, my dad didn't do that. He did it the wrong way. He Throughout college, he, he closed with his right foot, leaving a little bit less power, but obviously it was still pretty good because he won four national championships. <laughs> However, when he got to the national team, his coach said, this isn't going to fly. If you want to perform at this level, you got to mix it up. And so he went home, and he spent hours just doing it the right way, left, right, left, right, left, left, until he ingrained in his backyard footprints in the grass that I'm sure his mom wasn't so happy about. But what's crazy to me and why I think this is such a great example is that it proves that you can be successful even when you do something the wrong way. That in our lives, our success is not mattered on if we're doing it the way God wants us to do. And that's tough because we... Are, are lazy people. We want that reward. We want that success. But that's not always the way that God wants it to do. And that there is a right way. And we have to seek that out. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 5. Alright. So this is uh, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon of the Mount. And he lists off all of these beatitudes that are about how we make it to heaven, how we um, walk according to his spirit. And the one I want to share is verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I wanted to focus on this scripture for its simplicity and yet profoundness. We all want to see God. And in order to do so, we need to have a pure heart. Growing up, I was um, in high school. I was actually pretty, uh, pretty um, insecure. I don't know if it was because I had a late growth spurt or I didn't think I had enough money to be the most popular. But um, the way I coped with my insecurity was to be the jokester, to be the class clown, to always have um, a joke ready on the back end. And that laughter that my friends displayed gave me strength, gave me confidence. Um, but unfortunately, the myelin built up around that way, and so. Once I became a disciple, I had to really work and, and train and, and break that down in my mind in order to see things purely, to see things God's way. And recently, reading, reading the scripture, it struck me that we need to be pure, not just to make it to heaven, not just to see God in heaven, but to see God in the day-to-day life. If what we're perceiving is, is impure, is, is immature, uh, whether it's driving on the traffic, uh, driving on the freeway in traffic and just getting frustrated, whether it's someone who uh, frustrates you and you just want to say something negative about them, if that's your mindset, you're not going to see God. You're not going to see how God's working in their life. You're not going to even see God working in your life. 
The next thing I want to share about is my pride. You guys would turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 1. Let me take a drink real quick. Alright. It reads, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord." To the glory of God the Father. Amen. It's a powerful scripture. <clears throat> so I went into college thinking I was better than others. I had worked super hard in high school to get good grades, to perform well athletically so I could make it to UCLA. And when I got there, I definitely had an ego. And to, not, to make things worse, I was surrounded by a bunch of people, these athletes, um, that also had that ego that we thought we were better than others. And a, a great example of this, and I'm not proud of this, is that the athletes at UCLA used to call non-athletes muggles. It's terrible, I know. So we were walking around all high and mighty, and, and of course I think, all right, I'm in college, I'm living my own life, I know how to do, but that wasn't the case. I quickly fell into drunkenness, to sexual immorality, to de- debauchery, and I justified all of these sins by, by telling myself I was okay because I was working hard, that I was on the volleyball team, that I was getting good grades. But that was not the case. God knew I needed to humble out, and that's when he, he gave me Kenny. I, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> it says in uh, verse 5, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Studying out passages like this with Kenny, I knew that I could humble myself to a God who did this for me. I could humble myself to a God who was willing to take my sin and die on a cross. <laughs> and so I did what I did. I know how to do best. I trained. I trained every morning to 
read the Bible, to, to, to pray, and to, to want to have a mind like Christ. Just wait. This is going to be hard. <laughs> God, God has blessed me with um, incredible examples of humility and service. And two of the greatest examples are my mom's. Uh, Kathy, my mom, and Karina, my mom-in-law. Mother-in-law. They are both servants to their core. My mom, not needing to work, constantly volunteering at my high school with the uh, community resource center, and even now, substitute teaching and helping kids with special needs. And Karina, working a demanding full-time job. And continuously giving to me and Allie and seeing those in the church. And just an incredible example of this, even yesterday, we're, we're at a garage sale and we're trying to sell of our stuff and it's way too hot. And I kid you not, every 30 minutes, I had food next to me, I had a drink next to me, all because Karina was willing to serve me. <sighs> Amen. All right. Third point, pressure. I know we all feel it. Let's turn to John 16. This is uh, one of my favorite scriptures. It's uh, the conclusion of Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's about um, to go and, and be persecuted and, and, and die. And he talks about how he will be taken away from them. But before that, he says... In verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. <clears throat> There's a lot of pressures, whether it's work, money, traffic, spouse, family, you name it. But I don't think any of these in themselves are bad, except for maybe traffic. I don't see any good in traffic. <laughs> But at the end of the day, it all depends on how that we perceive things. What is our mindset towards these things that we encounter, that we have to encounter every day? I work for Hulu now, and it can get pretty stressful. And I've had to teach myself, i had to train myself to take short breaks, or else I just go insane. I lose it, I lose my temper, I get stressed out, I don't do good work. And I've had to pray, and it's incredible because when I pray and I take breaks, that's when I do my best work. That's when I can see things, I can, God lays things out for me, and I know that I can work my hardest for Him. And uh, a recent example of this is after just one of those crazy days, a ton of meetings, a ton of urgent requests, two of my coworkers approached me and asked me, Kendall, how do you do it? I'm like, how do I do what? Do you need me to answer something for you? And they're like, no, how do you, how do you stay so calm when all of this is going on? And just out of nowhere, I just blurted out, it's Jesus. And... Um, it's, it was crazy. It kind of took me by surprise just as it did them. But it, it led to a great conversation of just like how God has transformed me, how I can go take these breaks, how I can, can just pause and remember that I'm loved, that I have peace in His name no matter what. As we begin our process of just trying to be more like Christ, of trying to align our will with His, we're, we're going to need advice. And 
carry up. <laughs> I'm so grateful for both of my dads as well, Doug and Andy. You guys are rocks. You guys are giving me countless advice. And have helped me so much through the years. Thank you. All right, let's close out. <laughs> uh, all right, let's finish with Romans 12 again. I want to read, read this. Verses 1 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Striving to have a mind like Christ is not easy. Striving to live sacrificially is not comfortable. I want to close with two quotes. First is by Vince Lombardi. Arguably the greatest football coach of all time, he doesn't accurate the three NFL championships. And he said, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And then, Jesus Christ, unarguably the greatest teacher of all time. <laughs> Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I think in our sinful nature, we can look at these and say, this isn't fair. This isn't possible. How are we going to be perfect? We are sinful beings. We are going to mess up. But that is not what these, I I believe these are saying. They're saying we need to strive to practice perfectly. We need to train our minds to be perfect because anything else, and we're going to fall short in a way that isn't going to allow us to see God and isn't going to get us to heaven. So in closing, I just want to charge everyone as you begin your week uh, tomorrow, just think of one thing, one thing that you can apply this concept of myelin to that you need to break down one way that's not going in the right direction and you need to build up one way that's going towards Christ. And whether that's changing an attitude towards people you have in your life or just traffic to serving someone who, who you know needs it or maybe it's embracing just the challenges that God has put in front of you. Just thank you for this incredible uh, opportunity for for letting me speak, and, and God bless. So, uh, my wonderful wife is uh, gonna come and, and share communion. So I'm Allie Partee. Um, I have been a part of this ministry um, for over a decade. I was baptized here in, when I was 14, and um, I have, like I said, I've grown up here. I went, got my first grad degree, and now I'm in my second one at UCLA. I'm a doctoral candidate, um, and I'm, I, it's a bittersweet moment to be moving to New York. Um, but I do have faith that God is calling us there. Um, hopefully I got all the crying out during Kendall so that I can get through this. 
so before I start talking about communion, I wanted to take a little time just to say how much we love and appreciate all of you. Uh, I have m- known so many of you for such a long time, like pre-braces long time. And I am overwhelmed with the attitude that God allowed me to not only know you, but to also be partners in the gospel with you. Um, I want to say thank you for teaching us, uh, for praying for me and with me, for mourning and laughing with us, for expanding my faith, serving us, I mean, giving us your whole hearts. I want you to know I carry all of this with me and all of you with me as I go, as we go to New York. And I know it's a goal and a priority of ours that wherever Kendall and I go in this world, we want to follow your example and give as we have been given to. Um, but what I want to talk about in communion is not about going, but instead about waiting. As those of you who know me can attest to, I'm not really great at waiting for the answer or the solution. Uh, in fact, throughout high school and college, whenever I took a test, I would remember the questions that I felt like 50-50 on, and I would go home and look up to see if I got the answer right or not before I got the, the score back. Uh, in relationships, if I'm in a conflict, I'm usually the one who is trying to work it out and pursue resolution, even if it's not the other person really isn't ready to. And uh, for birthday and other gift-giving holidays, um, about two weeks prior, I'm usually begging Kendall to tell me what he got me. I don't even need the present then. I just want to know what it is. Um, so the bottom line is that I'm not really a enjoy-the-journey kind of gal. I want to know where we're going and how long it's going to get there <laughs> or how long how long it'll take to get there. And although sometimes I think... You know, God can use this part of my character for good. Um, God gives us so many reasons throughout the Bible to wait on him. There are so many scriptures that talk about waiting for the Lord. And with reason, the wait brings solution, it brings answers, and it brings salvation. Now, waiting on someone doesn't usually have a good connotation, right? I mean, we had to wait for them to get caught up. We couldn't get seated at the restaurant because our whole party wasn't here. We have to wait for them, someone to fight through traffic that they didn't anticipate, even though, for reals, it's L.A., there's always going to be traffic. Um, and a lot of times I can bring this spirit into my relationship with God. The tapping my toe, hello, God, I'm here, don't you know I'm waiting for you? Attitude. And I can even trick myself thinking that I'm surrendered because I don't even care what the outcome is. I just want to (laughs) know right now. Um, And this, in recent weeks, this has especially played out in my job search. So uh, part of my program, I'm required to get a job. I knew it was coming. Um, And so Kendall and I have been praying about it. And fasting for over a year now for this time for me to find a job. And here I am standing here. I don't have a job, let alone a job in New York City yet. Um, And it's easy for my internal conversation to go to, God, don't you know I need a job? 
you know, I needed one like a month ago. And don't you know I'm moving to New York in a week? And don't you know I need a job so I can afford a square box with no windows that costs as much as a mortgage? (laughs) Hello, God? And actually, this played out in a funny way this past week. So after a particularly anxious day, I was feeling a lot of anxiety about my job search. I decided to try and get surrendered and take my dog on a prayer walk. And it was one of those prayers that started really slow and controlled and like it was in my head and I was feeling good about it and then slowly just started heating up to a point where I'm marching down the sidewalk, my arms are flailing and I'm speaking out loud, loudly, hoping that the neighbors don't hear me. <laughs> so, um, out of nowhere, this happened. My dog just decided (laughs) to lay down on the sidewalk, like at the height of my prayer, and not get up. (laughs) And I had two choices. I could either wait there for her, or I could drag her across the sidewalk, (laughs) which I wasn't going to do. So later I was talking to my oh-so-wise father about how her job search was going and how I was feeling about God through all of it, and I was telling him how my prayer went. And he said, well, it's not a talking donkey, but I think it's as close as you're going to get in this modern age. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I knew he was right. He's always right. God is asking me to wait on him, and he's even using my dog to do so. (laughs) Now, when we don't wait on God, Scripture tells us we run the risk of missing out on his goodness, like Psalm 40 says. We risk missing out on his help and his shield, without Psalm 33 says. On running without growing weary and walking without fainting and flying on wings like eagles, like Isaiah 40 says. And ultimately, Psalm 62 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. So connecting this to the cross, we see this play out um, during his time on earth. Many of the Jews during Jesus' time were waiting. They were waiting for a Messiah that would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. And most Jews expected that deliverer, the deliverer that would come would help them reclaim their physical and political kingdom. And as a nation, they had been divided since Solomon's times, which was like way back when. And then they were overruled and by foreign nations. In fact, Jerusalem was destroyed twice, once by Nebuchadnezzar and then again by the Romans. This idea that a political king would rise caused King Herod to order a mass murder of all the young boys when Jesus when when the Magi told him that Jesus was born under a special star. Some even think that John the Baptist was under the under this same impression, that the Messiah would come to bring judgment on the Jews' enemies. Um, after Jesus fed the 5,000 by him bags of, uh, breads of ba- baskets of bread, they were going to take him by force and make him become king. And later we know that this is one of the charges that was brought against him at his trial. And in fact, ironically, a sign king of the Jews was placed over his head while he was on the cross. 
And lastly, even after his resurrection, even after that empty tomb and he had revealed himself to his disciples, in Acts 1-7, we see them asking Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So what is the issue here? Well, simple, the Jews were doing a whole lot of toe-tapping. Hello, God? Don't you know we've been waiting for our kingdom for generations? When are you going to restore our rule? When are you going to oust these crazy Romans and give us our land back? And where does this toe-tapping get them? They miss the point. They miss the miracle. In fact, many of these Jews were the same ones who arrested him, gave him up to Pilate, and called for his crucifixion. They miss the true victory that Jesus was bringing them. The victory of no longer being defined by their inferior political circumstance. No longer letting the history and mistakes dictate the trajectory of their lives. No longer being enslaved to their sin, much like Kendall talked about. And the victory of the true kingdom of heaven. They were waiting generations for it. They had all of the signs and prophecies And they completely missed it. They missed their salvation. So today, as we take communion and remember the cross, we remember why we wait on God. We remember that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We remember that when we wait on God, we are not waiting for him to catch up. But instead, we are waiting for his perfect plan. In essence, God already knows it's going to happen. So honestly, it's more like he's kind of waiting for us to catch up spiritually. Maybe there are some things in your life that you are just tired of waiting on God for. A relationship, a family, a career, a good medical diagnosis, victory over certain sin, um, a breakthrough in your relationship or in your mind, maybe a family member becoming a Christian. For my mom and my mother-in-law, I know it's grandbabies. For me, it's a job in a New York City apartment. So as we take communion, let us reflect on how we must wait on the Lord. We must wait for him to reveal his solution, his answer, his victory at the righteous time so that we may never lose out on his salvation. Thank you for letting me share. All right, let's pray for communion. Heavenly Father, God, um, just so humbled to be before you in your church. Um, God, thank you for just giving us the scriptures that tell us to wait. God, help us um, just in our impatience and just wanting to know, God, you have it all worked out for us. Help us to trust in you, God. As we take the cup and um, the bread, God, I just pray that we can remember your sacrifice on the cross and that you have told us to just be at peace, that you have overcome, that we are, that you are in control. And we love you, God, so much, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.